0: Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Saturday, May 1st, 2021. And since we have listeners outside the United States, we should acknowledge that today, May 1st, is May Day, which, according to Wikipedia, is an ancient festival of spring and a current traditional spring holiday in many European cultures. Dancing, singing, and cake – Are usually part of May Day festivities. So, you and Katie got anything cake related lined up for later today? Or,
1: Um, yeah, we got the dancing. (laughs) Um, I'm going to replace the cake with an ice cream social. I hope that's okay with you, Jim. There we go. But you're my May Queen, Jim, Uh, as we we saw in midsummer. I, I want you to have a little
0: flower crown. Two weeks ago today, I had my first coke or my second COVID shot. So in theory, I'm you know have full immunity, which means if I wanted to, I could could go to an outdoor event now. Uh, the celebrated spring and involved singing and dancing and cake. But do you remember the movie Midsummer? Yes. <laughs> all right. Don't sew me up in a bear carcass, Jim. That's all I ask. These days, when I get invited to a, an outdoor festival, I have two questions. First of all, will there be cake? And second question, I'm not going to be wound up sewed inside of a bear corpse, am I? And then <laughs> set up on fire. It's like, if they say yes, to the second question, I say no. Yeah, you and know, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Right. Actually, in regard to the cake question, if, if they say cake, there is a follow-up question. Will it be angel food cake? Because if it, it is, that's a no, too. Angel food cake is basically that pink insulation that you find up in the attic masquerading as food. <laughs> Terrible. You know, in fact, I have a theory. They call it angel food cake in an ironic way because it's the only form of cake served in hell. I could be wrong. Listen, Jim, have you tried airplane food? <laughs> All right. Anyway, the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. So what were the big stories this week? Would you consider the bedrock announcement big? Or?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you were looking at Twitter, Jim, it was big because everyone had an opinion
0: on this Uh, Elizabeth Banks, who's going to be voicing the adult pebbles in the show as well as executive producing. But she's had a deal in place with Warner Animation for a while now, right?
1: Yeah, from what I understand, this is a... And I think that they have worked on several Mm -hmm. versions Mm -hmm. of this before. We'll get Mm -hmm. into... There was another attempt at this a little while Mm -hmm. ago. But for the last few years, I think they've been working on updating the Flintstones in some kind of meaningful mm-hmm. way, and that now they finally have figured
0: it out. Se- seemingly, we'll see. I remember the first really big attempt was announced almost 10 years ago in 2011 when it was Seth McFarland, right? Yes. This got so far along, Fox produced an ad that actually hyped the show and had Seth talking about how much he'd loved the original version from the 1960s, which... First big primetime success for animation. Debuted September of 1960 and then ran for six seasons. There's there's 166 episodes of this stuff. And how many
1: cigarette commercials in there, too? Yes,
0: that's that's the other thing. It was a different time, folks. Yes, you know, (laughs) if you watch the ad that you're referring to, it's kind of a twofer because it's Fred and Barney smoking, I want to say, Pall Malls. But it's also, they've tricked their wives into like doing the yard work. And it's like, wow, yes. <laughs> offensive in two ways. Holy cow. So <laughs> this project gets announced in, in 2011. It's going to be a take on the Flintstones that's in the Seth MacFarlane roundhouse kind of thing. Much in the style of Family Guy or American Dad. I guess Kevin Reilly, who was the head of Fox at the time, they hand him the pilot script. And Kevin's quoted as saying, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Supposedly Fox is paying Turner because they bought the whole Hanna-Barbera film library and the rights to the characters back in October of 1991. But they're paying this huge licensing fee to Turner. Basically, the attitude with Fox is a family guy-sized audience isn't going to cut it. Need the show to appeal to adults and kids and that wasn't Seth's vision for this and so the project basically dies at that point so that's what's what's kind of interesting with what elizabeth is doing here cuz here's the bullet points for the show that bedrock will follow the flintstone family 2 decades after the original animated series with fred on the brink of retirement and twenty something pebbles embarking on her own career as the Stone Age gives way to a bright and, or a shiny and enlightened New Bronze Age, the residents of Bedrock will find this evolution harder than a swing from Bam Bam's club. Wow, that's going to make me tune in right now. Doesn't it sound a little bit like Early Man? Yes, yes it does. Without the soccer. Yeah, I mean. well, and the Ardman charm. I'm old enough to remember when they made their first attempt at building a show around Pebbles. Have, have you ever seen the Pebbles and Bam Bam show? From, I want to say, 71?
1: I'm sure I did when, when Cartoon Network was only 70s Hanna-Barbera mm. shows when that started. I'm sure you remember that yeah, era.
0: Yeah, I want to say there were only 16 episodes of this produced. It was done for Saturday morning. And the original voice for the teenaged Pebbles, Flintstone, was Sally Struthers. And she started work on the show, because again, you know, there's all that lead time for animation. And in the middle of production, she gets hired to play Gloria Stivik in All in the Family, which launches January of of 71. So she's already recorded the dialogue for the the Pebbles and Bam Bam show, but she's now doing the live action thing. And All in the Family becomes this hit, and she's no longer available. For season two, they kind of reinvent the show, because one of the main complaints about the Pebbles and Bam Bam show was not enough fred not enough barney so they reinvented it as the flintstones comedy hour and they produce a couple new episodes of the pebbles and bam bam thing but they cut that in with bits and pieces with fred and barney and this sounds like that episode of the
1: simpsons where they do all the different spin-offs yes yes <laughs> yeah. yes
0: and almost as entertaining <laughs> let's say this much though so, that bedrock the pilot is being written by Lindsey Kearns, who worked on Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous, and DC superhero, superhero Girls, which is a lot of fun. So, you know, it's Elizabeth Banks. So, I guess we're going to have to give this a, a chance. This, I, I guess, last year was the 60th anniversary of the launch of the Flintstones. Have you seen some of the stuff that that has been done for the 60th anniversary? No. I mean, I know
1: that there there is some kind of concerted, I think there might be even a larger Hanna-Barbera consumer products initiative, but I have not seen any of it out in the what? wild. But I think well, you have, Well, right? yes.
0: I was, was at my local target and was peering into the dairy case at the International Coffee's Fruity Pebbles flavored creamer and the Cocoa Pebbles flavored creamer. There's also the Crooked Hammock Brewery of Delaware. They produced a Fruity Pebbles-flavored beer. And there's also, in honor of this birthday celebration, I guess they're, it, the post the folks who actually make the Fruity Pebbles and Cocoa Pebbles cereal have just put out a flavor of birthday cake-flavored pebbles. So I'm old enough to have watched Flintstones in real time, and I, I kind of look forward to what Bedrock is, but at the same time, it's... Stop with the fruity for pebbles crap flavored stuff. I'm, I'm begging you. <laughs> All right, beyond that, let's talk about Vivo. The trailer that just dropped. What did you think? I mean,
1: it was that was a teaser. If anything, you actually, if you watch the the Netflix summer movie preview, you can see a couple more shots there okay. of Vivo um, in action, but. I mean, it looks great.
0: Did this arrive deliberately in sort of the same window as Mitchell's and the Machines?
1: Yes, I believe so. I mean, they made the announcement, and then there was a teaser the next okay. day. So, yeah, I think this is all part of a concerted effort. Because, you know, they also have Wish Dragon coming out in yes, June. Yes, in fact, so.
0: if the, the schedule had held and Vivo had gone out theatrically, it would have be, been out in theaters next month on June 4th, right? And... Yes. And now we don't exactly know when Vivo is coming out. Because as you just mentioned, Wish Dragon is June 11th. We have America, the motion picture, is showing up on uh, Netflix on June 30th. And then finally, Trollhunters, Rise of Titans is July 21st. But Vivo is to be released at a date to be named later, right? Or...
1: Yeah, it's summer 2021, but we don't
0: know. Yeah, Looks charming as hell. And the folks at Sony found a new animal. This is a kinkajou, the honey bear. I feel like we, when we were at that thing at Animal Kingdom, we met a kinkajou. I think that's entirely possible. We yeah. may have fed it grapes, but either way... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you were talking about how Vivo started off life at DreamWorks? Yes.
1: You and I both are intimately
0: aware of this kind
1: of purge that happened at DreamWorks, where it was Vivo, it was me and my shadow... It was Kevin Lima's Monkeys of Mumbai, yeah. which I, Jim, I hope you saved all that. I did, I did. Weird content from him. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, there were a bunch of movie. The movie that 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 Australian movie that ended up becoming that Larkin. Short. I mean, it was it was a bloodbath over there, and this is this is one that amazingly they let mm-hmm. escape, and um, it went across the street to or across mm-hmm. town really to Sony. Yeah and was made, which is great. I mean, it's really very heartening, I think, the story.
0: Vivo was set up at Sony in December 2016. So in theory, that means it was worked on earlier at DreamWorks. I I guess we're going to have to work on finding out how earlier. But when you look at what uh, Disney and and Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, he's doing the music for Encanto, which is coming out in November of this year. He's also working with Alan Menken, on the Little Mermaid, has that officially started back up again? Yes,
1: I think it started in fe- in February. Yeah,
0: but no word on theatrical release two thousand twenty two, two thousand
1: twenty three. Yeah, I'm sure it, twenty. You know how long they take on those. Oh, LeMix. I get that. I, I get mean, that.
0: Twenty two at the
1: earliest. Yeah, but
0: but here's the thing: of the, the the Disney Lin Manuel Miranda story that fascinates me. He gets signed to work on Mo- Moana. He's hired in March of two thousand fourteen. But at this point, we are still 11 months away from Hamilton even debuting off-Broadway, let alone you know when it becomes this white-hot hit and moves to the Richard Rodgers in August of that year and then becomes this impossible ticket to get. But Disney hires Lin-Manuel on the basis of In the Heights, right? And that did off-Broadway in 2007. It arrives on Broadway in 2008. It's nominated for thirteen Tonys. It wins four, including Best Musical that year. Then it closes in in January 2011. You know, it, it's just under 1,200 performances, but it's not a you know certainly not a Lion King or a Beauty and the Beast, the sort of huge hit that Disney recognizes as the smash on Broadway. So when they hire him, he's still the In the Heights guy. They love the fact that they got lucky. They hired this guy. Who, as he was writing songs for Moana, suddenly became the man who gave us Hamilton. In fact, can you talk about when you were working at Disney and you got to see Moana work in progress?
1: Oh, yeah. All, all the parts were sung by people working on Moana. So Philip Asu, Leslie Odom Jr., all of those amazing performers because he was, you know, knee deep in Hamilton, and he just said, okay, I'm just gonna get. The cast to record all of this stuff. And I think some of that stuff wound up on like an expanded um, version of the soundtrack. But seeing those work in progress is the, the songs are really what's what's the most interesting to me. Like I've heard when I saw Zootopia for the first time, it was Sia singing that the, the song and not Shakira, mm-hmm. which was very different and okay. cool. But
0: it was a lot of fun you've actually already seen the movie version of In the Heights, right? I have. I have. It's mm-hmm. wonderful. This is the summer
1: of Lynn, Jim, <laughs> let me tell you. Between Vivo okay. and In the okay. Heights.
0: But again, we're in another one of these situations where In the Heights is released in theaters on the exact same day that it shows on up on HBO Max. What's your suggestion? See this in theaters? See it at home? Yeah, I would see it in theaters and then... Then you can go home and
1: dance and sing along, um, and you, as your best May Queen will do, um, you know, without embarrassing yourself. But yeah, it, it's really, it's very special.
0: I think I think people are gonna oh, love I it. Can't wait. We also got our last Luca trailer, which I think looks charming as hell. But in the same window of time, we got that Business Insider piece. Did you see this in the past week about how supposedly folks at Pixar are are frustrated over the fact that both Soul and now Luca wound up on Disney Plus and not just wound up on Disney Plus, but they're readily available. They didn't do a Mulan or for that matter, what they're going to be doing later this month with Corella, initially launching it as premium access content. What's your thinking? Are these real complaints or is this kind of a clickbaity piece or what? I mean I
1: liked that article but it was like Pete Doctor it was upset that it wasn't on wasn't theatrical where he's been very open about that fact but he also admitted that his thinking was sort of old school and he needed to embrace you know the challenges and there are so many other factors to all of this that they didn't get into then like you and I both know the um the kind of crush of consumer product stuff is a huge concern and liability when it comes to getting these things out. And there aren't really any huge movies coming out on Disney Plus this summer. It wasn't like last year when all the theatrical movies got canceled and they just went to Disney Plus. Like there are things that just is not a reality this year. So they, I think they needed a little juice and I think it makes perfect sense. And you know what? If you want to see it in theaters, you can go to the LCAP, I'm sure, for its Oscar qualifying run. <laughs> but, yep. you know, I also feel like you're not getting paid any less to make this movie on Disney Plus, right? Like, what are you
0: complaining about? I get about? that. But I do. What do I, I do. know, Jim? Well, no, but, but clearly the world of entertainment is changing. You pointed out, for example, the Sony Disney Plus deal this week. Yes. A few weeks back, Sony and Netflix announced a deal that gave that streaming service. The U.S. streaming rights to to Sony Films in the first pay TV window. That's right after the theatrical release, the very first pay TV window. Whereas the deal that Disney just made with Sony is for after that pay window, right? Yes. It covers all of Sony's theatrical releases from 2022 uh, to uh, 2026. That's going to be our Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse sequel. Also evidently covers a significant number of titles from Sony. I guess all of the Hotel Transylvania films. Also supposedly the original Spider-Verse film. And then supposedly after these things air on Disney+, Plus, and again after that, that first pay window on Netflix, they can then go on and be shown on ABC or Disney Channel or Hulu. But you pointed out the the really big get in regard to Tom Holland. Yeah, to me, this is going to ensure
1: that Tom Holland continues in the MCU milieu, especially because next month uh, the ride is opening up with Tom Holland as well. I think that that was also a preemptive thing for that, but that all the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies will be a part of this package and I think that that makes it very attractive for both parties going forward to maintain this this deal. So I think that's a huge get, and I think that I think it's great too that you know you'll have all the MCU movies in one place on Disney Plus finally.
0: To sort of circle back to the supposedly the Pixar employees upset about Soul and Luca didn't make it out into the theaters, and I guess the, the notion of. The theatrical experience versus the convenience of being able to have everything at home kind of says a lot about where entertainment is headed, don't you think? Yeah, and I think that it makes perfect sense
1: because you had a child, Jim, growing up in the VHS mm-hmm. era. You know how many oh. times you played that Lion King VHS, got it out of the clamshell, and, and had to watch it. And so I think this is mm-hmm. perfect for... Those families that just want to watch—they'll want to watch Luca the second Mm. it's over—and they Mm. can do it. Like, it's going to save a lot of money in in a lot of ways for a lot of Mm. families too that can't afford to go back to the theater or wait six months for the Blu-ray to come out Mm. or whatever. So, I think it's a great deal, and I think that you know, for as much as as you and I will sit there and go, "Well, I wish in search of the castaways was on Disney (laughs) Plus," that this will actually give some relevant, more recent material to the streamer. I think it's a great deal. And it's very smart from Disney. And it's very far, smart of Sony to not have to launch their own middling streaming service. We don't need another
0: Peacock, is what yeah, I'm saying, Jim yeah. But I want to say just in the past week, didn't Peacock post some results and get it to the effect of, you know, oh, we're doing okay. <laughs> we tried. But that's the thing, yeah. you know, in this age of behemoths, you know, when you have Netflix being as aggressive as they are about animation. And you know, you've got a Netflix releasing four animated features Mitchell's Vision of the Machine, Wish Dragon, America the Motion Picture, The Troll Hunters. Hell no, it's five. If Vivo actually. And Viva. So yeah. Disney had its hand forced. Luca really did have to go out in yeah. that situation. So the fact that the industry is changing. This quickly in real time is just it's just kind of stunning. And I think that
1: the coronavirus really kind of pushed things forward, that maybe this wouldn't have come as naturally mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. quickly, but the fact that it was the only option for the last 14 months, I think it has fundamentally changed the, the approach that consumers have with their streaming services and theatrical. You know, I mean, it seems like it seems like people went out to the theater and saw Godzilla versus mm-hmm. Kong, which mm-hmm. is great. But who knows if that's going to be the case for every movie. No. And I don't know. I worry that, you know, smaller movies will just be relegated to to streaming mm-hmm. only. But hopefully if there's an audience that demands it, there'll be theater space that can, can handle that. Because God knows there's not anything playing in theaters. I think... Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is back in theaters <laughs> this weekend, Jim. So Yeah,
0: yeah that does kind of say things. So we're going <laughs> to take a quick ad break here. And when we get back, we're going to talk about something else that didn't play in theaters. But man, I wish it had. Did you get the chance to watch the sort of the reveal of everything that's going into the Disney Wish, the new Disney Cruise ship,
1: Jim, that was the most painful <laughs> 35 minutes of... Any Disney thing I think I've seen since I watched Prince of Persia in (sighs) theaters. That was so cringe. That woman who they have, who has such big Disney vacation planning video energy. I could not, (laughs) could not handle it, Jim. But there were some interesting things. No, there there
0: were. But at the same time, it's just sort of like the Frozen themed restaurant, which if they're not making ice cream at the table in front of you, they're missing a get upsell.
1: Here's my question, Jim. You have to go to these restaurants at least twice during most of your trip.
0: It depends on if you're doing a three and four day cruise, that there are just enough variety that you don't necessarily have to repeat yourself. But yeah, if you are one of these people who does a seven days cruise, yep, you're going back to see Anna and Elsa you know, at, least, at least twice. Yeah. So, I mean,
1: that was what somebody was saying, like first night... On the Marvel Mm. restaurant, some 18-year-old kid is dressed as Tony Stark flying around. And then the next night, are they just showing scenes from Endgame or something? You know, it's like, this can't be the same experience twice. I don't know. This ship seems like every Disney cruise, but way more annoying (laughs) is what my uh, takeaway was. Like, Who wanted two restaurants themed after two different... Characters from the live-action Beauty and the Beast, Jim. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. not something I ever thought about, but whatever.
0: We went to dinner in, I forget which one of the restaurants it, it was, but it was Pirate Night. We are across from this, this family where they're enjoying themselves. They're Pirate Night, but they, they have a five-year-old boy who will not sit down and is running around the table in his pirate garb stabbing everybody at the table. And when he ran out of his family members, he began stabbing people at our table. It's a plastic sword. But it's just one of these things where it's like, I I am so enjoying this dining experience. I am so glad I I came on this boat.
1: There is something to be said, Jim, for going with your family just so that you have enough people to have your own table.
0: So that you're not with a bunch of weirdos every night. But you brought up that, you know, at least for animation fans, what makes, you know, what they revealed for The Wish, interesting, was the Aquamouse, I, I guess, the, the, the now the water, this ship's water coaster. It's a celebration of the Paul Ruddish Mickey Mouse shorts, right? Or
1: Yeah, it looks cool.
0: I mean, did you do the aqueduct when you were on I the dream? did, and I have to tell you that I don't understand how this particular system, this, this powered water coaster, to talk about this is the very first attraction that's ever being done on the Disney Cruise Line and it's and it's going to have show scenes and it's like you're on a water roller coaster where nine times out of ten you have water in your eyes because you've just been splashed and it's like you're zooming along this 1900 foot track how is it you are actually going to take in show
1: scenes it also looked like there there was like a new mm-hmm. short being developed that
0: has this storyline or something did you get that out of it yeah too? i mean anytime we get new mickey mouse stuff from paul rudder i'm a happy guy speaking of which did you see the shots coming out of disneyland for the opening it was done for for southern california yes i did the mickey and minnie's runaway railway building looming up behind toontown and and how at least they're addressing it at this point in the, the construction.
1: Yes, I thought that was genius. It's a giant sign that says, no, this is not a giant show building. (laughs) Something that effect,
0: yeah. Yeah, I I love that they leaned in and owned it.
1: It also seems like a a real kind of shot in the arm to Universal, which has only recently be even acknowledged, not even in a press release, but just in the park itself, that there is a Mario Land coming yes, to yes. Disney Hollywood.
0: And I guess they only had to do, they had to do that because I guess the tram, the new tram route takes you know, them by the construction site. It's like, yeah, 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 2022, shut up. Come back later. You know, we'll, we'll talk about that then. So to get to the feature this week, and this keys off of, Something that showed up on on, on Twitter. In fact, it, it was Dirk Blocker from Brooklyn '99 who who posted these images. And do you want to describe what he he shared?
1: Well, he shared two images of him and a bunch of other actors dressed up as characters from Gary Larson's comic strip, The Far Side. And the only thing I can really compare it to is sort of Dick Tracy-ish yes. in terms of the exaggerated proportions of people, the makeup and hair. It looked like they they had sort of prosthetics underneath their costumes, which was really interesting. And supposedly this was from some live action project that Alan Rudolph yeah. was involved with. So it was very bewildering, but it, it did sort of get me on a far side rabbit hole, which I'm I appreciate you indulging this week, Jim.
0: I have been a gay fan of, of Farside since it, it first appeared. I think the Boston Globe began running this single-panic comic probably within the first six months it was being syndicated. But there's also kind of a fascinating story about how it wound up being syndicated, that Larson, he lives in Seattle, he works at a, a music store, and he supposedly hates his job. So he decides he's going to try his hand as cartooning. And he draws six cartoons, sends them to a magazine called Pacific Search, which at some point got renamed Pacific Northwest Magazine. This is 1976, and they decide, okay, we'll start buying cartoons from this guy. But it's it's strictly one at a time, and they're kind of quintessential. Gary Larson, they're weird, dark, animal-based jokes. Eventually, after doing this for three years, he takes up his portfolio, goes to the Seattle Times, and they decide, okay, we'll take a shot on this guy. In 1979, they begin running the the single panel cartoon under the name Nature's Way. But at this point in The Farside's Life, it's buried down in the page next to the Junior Jumble. At least you had two of your favorite things in the same
1: area of the newspaper. There we go.
0: But he's making so little money off of this, and he's quit his job at the music store. So he's now working for the Humane Society in Seattle. He's, a, he's actual an animal cruelty investigator. The reason I know this is I had a friend, Jim Koval, who lived out in Seattle at this time. And I think his dog got away, and he had to go to the Humane Society to collect it. And as he's waiting in the lobby, there's a bulletin board. And there on the bulletin board are the normal groups of of flyers and that sort of thing, but supplemented, you know, next to these things are really for real, as in Larson drew them himself and put them up on the wall cartoons by the creator Farside. And Jim, to this day, talks about, you know how much money I could have made if I just took out the thumbtacks and took them with me. But I just remember a very vivid memory of these really funny cartoons, you know, sort of laughing. And again, said, you don't think about laughing out loud at the Humane Society, all right? <laughs> but, you know, particularly animal-based jokes. But Larson gets tired of making very little money just selling his cartoons to the Seattle Times. He's visiting friends in San Francisco, drops by the offices of the San Francisco Chronicle with the portfolio, they agree to take the strip on. Not only do they agree to take the strip on, they, they like it enough that they, let's, let's try syndicating it. It starts running in the San Francisco Chronicle on January 1st, 1980. And the very next week, the Seattle Times goes, you know, this isn't working for us and we're canceling it. So honestly, if he hadn't gone to the Chronicle when he did, The success we know today never would have happened. Wow! Anyway, eventually the strip runs in 1900 newspapers around the country. And are are there even 1900 papers left in the United States at this point? It's published in 17 different languages. By the time he opts to retire in uh, January of 1995, Larson has produced 4,337 individual far Side strips. The Very first book, a collection of these things, which I proudly own a copy of, was published back in 1982. There have since been 23 collected editions of The Far Side with over 45 million copies sold. I think I missed out on getting the collected Far Side when they did the hardcover a few years back, though yeah. that may have been a smart move on my part because he revived the strip in 2019. He announced that a whole new generation of Farsight in mid 2019, and I guess started publishing new cartoons on the website in July of last year. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. When we finish here, head on over to farside.com and check out some of the new stuff. But we're here to talk about Gary Larson's Tales from the Far Side. Did you find this on YouTube, or how did you come across it?
1: I mean, I watched the original Halloween special. As a very nerdy wow. child who was already into this stuff, and I remember it vividly because it only aired once, I think, and then never saw yeah, it again. Nineteen ninety
0: four on CBS, October 26, nineteen ninety four. Did they pair it with the Peanuts Halloween special? It's a great pumpkin. I don't remember <laughs> what.
1: <laughs> I don't remember what that night mm-hmm. was, but I remember as a young. Lad being tickled pink Jim by this I thought it was so funny
0: but as they're making this everyone's like oh you know this is so much fun we got to make another one of these but then January 1st 1995 Larson very abruptly shuts down the strip he wants to retire and remember this was during that period where what Berkeley breathed shut down Bloom County and the gentleman behind oh yeah uh, It yes. yes. one of the reasons these three all walked away from doing strips, is they pointed to Peanuts, that sometimes a strip goes on too long and it, it loses what made it appeal. They couldn't point to Family well, Circus? I, Good. you they know, but, but that's a, a, the thing for me. What, <laughs> what was fascinating was when Charles Schultz himself decided to shut down Peanuts and didn't the last Peanuts strip run on the day Charles Schultz died? Was this amazing story the day you know, the final penis-stripped airs and Charles Schultz passes away the night before. So Gary Larson shuts down The Far Side in January of 1995, but they've already started work on Tales of the from the Far Side 2. And I guess, to circle back to you, young Drew Taylor seated in front of the television watching Tales from the Far Side, because judging by the ratings, you may have been the only person who watched this in real time, Drew. Right. Because when, I guess, they took the finished show back to CBS, it's like they looked at the ratings of the first one and said, "Yeah, we're good. They then couldn't find a network in America who was willing to take the show on, so... When it does finally air in 97, and again, we're, we're now two years after the, sh- the Strip is shut down, the only network that was willing to air it was the BBC, and they only aired it in the UK. And these days, the only way you can get to see it is if you actually go to the official Farside website. And I guess they, they have it available in DVD at this point.
1: They used to have it on uh, DVD. Now it's not there, but it's on okay. YouTube. So All right. Yeah. Because
0: I didn't get to see this when it was broadcast on CBS. I want to say Spike and Mike showed it as part of their Outrageous Animation Festival. Because I know it supposedly was awarded the grand prize at Annexie in the 90s. Was there any particular part of the special that jumped out at you that did you get were an anxious to circle back to? or Well, I mean, there was this,
1: as a Texan living in Texas at the time, there was one moment, I don't know if you remember this, Jim, where it was like how to tell an alien in Texas, and it was a bunch of cowboys sitting around a fire, and they said, the stars at night are big and bright, and he clapped one extra time, (laughs) and all the rest of the cowboys shot the the one cowboy. (laughs) That was the alien. So that is one that I vividly remember. Yeah. Yeah. That's the level of humor though that we were working with on this okay, story.
0: Okay. Well, alright. I know but what I'm going to go watch as soon as we finish recording here. Or for yes. that matter, I I know what I'm gonna go listen to as soon as we finish recording here, and that is the hundred and fiftieth episode of Light Diffuse, is that right? It's right, Jim. It's uh
1: it's like this show—a sad <laughs> devotion uh, no, that I have. No, had for the past I know. Few years. I, I, I
0: again, you—you you have delivered <laughs> so many great behind-the-scenes stories. Uh, and in fact, isn't the, for the hundred and fiftieth? Aren't you bringing back Paul Hirsch, who is like?
1: Yes, we got Paul Hirsch. This is the return of <sighs> Paul Hirsch. Yep. Yeah, so. I think in this episode, he actually reads aloud a chapter that didn't make it into his autobiography. Oh, so no. you're going to want to listen to that. Oh, cool. And we've got a cool new logo that was designed by the guys that made the logos for the past couple of movies. That yeah, absolutely killer.
0: I have so enjoyed the show and, the, you know, to the fact that, you know, you're getting that the, the creatives who actually worked in the film are now doing the logos or for that matter, that you get people of the level of Paul Hirsch coming on. And share. I mean, that guy is Hollywood history with feet.
1: Jim, in the third episode, this is a three-parter, he describes a John Hughes script that I have never heard about in my life. He goes into detail about this script that he was going to direct, and it is absolutely fascinating. Charles and I were, like, on the edge of our seats listening to him talk about this <sighs> script. Um, really, really fascinating uh, stuff.
0: Uh, seriously, folks, if you if you are not listening to Light Diffuse Fuse already, and, and again, the upside is... There's 150 shows now that this is definitely binge worthy stuff. Please go check it out. You are, you are missing out on a great, great show. Our side of the street, we got stuff too Disney Dish with Lentesta, Marvel Us Disney with Aaron Adams. Just did a brand new Universal Giant, and Dustin Fuse and I will be knocking another one of those out shortly. I'll tell you what, folks, if you could head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. So you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. Thanks for listening, and Drew and I will be back soon.